Hello and welcome to another episode of At Any Rate. I'm your host, Natasha Kanova, and I had JP Morgan Global Commodities Research. Today, we would like to discuss whether commodities will try to catch up with the rally in other risk asset classes. I'm joined today by Shika Chaturvedi, who heads our natural gas commodities research, Tracy Allen, uh, our head of agricultural commodities research, and Greg Shearer, who heads our precious and base metals research. Catalyzed by the drop in the U.S. CPI inflation in June, uh, near-term recession risks has uh, have moderated, and the focus has shifted closer to the market's favorite scenario of a painless disinflation and economic soft landing. Recent data have begun indeed to validate the views of near-term resiliency of the global economy, bolstering risk assets, while at the same time heaping more downward pressure on the U.S. dollar. Um, Accordingly, stocks rose uh, and government bond yields fell, retracing most of the June rise. Uh, yet the victory over inflation might not be final, and there is a significant risk that underlying inflation might prove more persistent, pressuring the Fed to keep rates higher for longer to tap down resilient growth. Uh, so, for example, our economist baseline is uh, for the U.S. recession to start later this year, but their bias remains for later and the significantly higher terminal policy rates. So because of that, we downplay near-term recession risks while also questioning that the soft lending can be achieved in which inflation returns to central banks' targets on a sustained basis without uh, an economic downturn. So with the timing of the eventual recession uncertain, it is very hard to hold a constructive structural view, meaning a long-term view on heavily cyclical assets like commodities. Uh, yet in the interim, um, amidst a broad-based rally in risky assets, commodities stand out as undervalued, underowned, and backed by compelling fundamentals and technicals, a good entry point in our opinion for a catch-up tactical allocation. Um, so the BCOM index, uh, Bloomberg Commodities Index, uh, already gained 5% in July, but we believe there is likely more where this came from. Uh, we uh, think the recent move can extend in the near term and should recessionary risks not materialize over the next six months, idiosyncratic risks leave the entire complex exposed to the upside, uh, with uh, BCOM index uh, exiting the year with, uh, with a 6% return. Um, so a couple of points, why commodities undervalued? Um, so first of all, despite the improving risk backdrop and continued momentum of the global economy, commodities haven't participated in the risk on rally so far this year, and they continue to price the largest likelihood of recession probability among risk markets. Some of the commodities trading are trading very close to their cost curves, which is additional benefit. Um, in terms of uh, being under-owned, um, while the value of the net investor positions across commodity markets has rebounded, of the historical lows which were reached in May 2023, they still remain below the levels at the peak of COVID when the whole complex sold off heavily. And finally, the favorable fundamental backdrop, um, although the prospect of a soft landing in 2023 holds a more promising demand side outlook for commodities, we believe that most of the upside risk will come from supply. So in terms of our preference, uh, we favor natural gas, uh, eggs, oil, gold, and we maintain uh, a neutral stance on base metals. So Shika, moving to you, uh, in terms of the fundamental view on natural gas, uh, natural gas already rallied uh, 22% before we published the report. You just told me it appreciated another 15 cents yesterday. So you had a view that another 25% higher from here. Please walk us through your thinking. 
Sure. Thanks, Natasha. That's right. Um, U.S. natural gas has been an, on a tear upwards for sure. Um, it seemingly has to do with some fundamental risk factors that are out there. In the near term, we are seeing incredible strength in power generation demand. Um, and a lot of that has been up until now due to coal to gas switching. But as we move, um, as we're getting into this sort of peak summer heat, it does seem more widespread heat is definitely just supporting overall burn levels. And so in the in the forward kind of looking space, the 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 thing that is most supportive at this point in time has been the, the significant drop in rigs that we've seen um, in uh, the Haynesville particularly. So if you look actually at the drop of rigs in Haynesville, it corresponds with basically the managed money shorts for the, the US natural gas space, um, a reduction that's occurred in those shorts. So essentially the market has reacted to the fact that they believe that the, the drop in rigs is likely to lend towards significantly less production growth, if not declines uh, going forward. And so that's really set up a structurally more bullish argument. As you pointed out, we have done this rally already. We've done a big significant move upwards, a push upwards from that $2 part. And we're now sitting closer to 275 today. But we do think that if we if we are correct about production declines manifesting and power generation continues to remain strong, there is still some further upside in price. Uh, as it is with natural gas, we, we always caution that weather is very important and watching the end October storage trajectory and whether it goes towards uh, congestion is very important. Right now we point to an end October storage trajectory of 3.95 TCF. And since we are now on the backside of summer, each day that we uh, point towards 3.95 TCF is a day that I'm more confident that we won't touch storage congestion at this point. Um, and then ultimately, I would say that there are two risk factors that we are kind of watching from the production standpoint. With the rally in price, we are interested in seeing how producers will react um, in the 4Q23 period will they start to complete more wells? Because that could definitely be a bearish risk to the price factor of moving towards $3. And so that's something that the market needs to very uh, watch very closely. And the other thing is, if the Haynesville producer really can actually manage bringing their production to flat versus declines with the, the immense drop in um, the rigs, it's a very difficult feat to do that. But in most cases, producers are very keen on keeping production in place, given the fact that we have so much demand expected to come in the back half of 24. So that's another point that we'd like you know, to caution about, but generally speaking, right now we are setting up for a more supportive case for US natural gas. Mm -hmm. Uh, thank you, Sheikha. Um, so uh, our technical analyst told me that uh, natural gas is the new wheat, uh, or that they, they look very, very similar in terms of their technical charts. So Tracy, uh, you know, we, we're all reading about weather patterns and El Nino developing and soybean prices already very, very close to the record levels we observed uh, um, in 2022. So please walk us through your thinking. The the complex is already up 7% uh, since June, and you're saying that there is more to come. Um, yes, please. That's right, Natasha. The agricultural markets have been immensely volatile, uh, particularly over the last couple of months, I would say, after a bit of a hiatus uh, earlier in 2023. 
And as you know, um, and as our readers know, I've, I've really been cautioning around these weather-related supply-side risks, um, as well as the immense geopolitical risks that uh, certainly the grain markets have been dealing with this week particularly, um, because it, the, the complex is really quite vulnerable here coming off low inventory levels after you know relatively low production over, over recent seasons and a, a recovering demand environment. So as you point out, um, Natasha, in terms of the the outlook for agricultural prices in general, I, you know, my my forecasts are really um, suggesting that we're likely to see a peak in this third quarter of 2023, before some supply improvements start to, to you know, to pass through um, thereafter. But structurally, prices remaining higher, certainly for longer. In the case of the the weather-related risks, as you rightly point out, you know, we are very, very much focused on what appears to be an ever-intensifying outlook for El Nino, um, certainly through the end of this year. And, and that is something that, for my mind, is likely to impede the production yield, certainly, of uh, of, of wheat crops um, and has, has already um, started to weigh on uh, rainfall certainly in in Australia in in that respect, we have an offsetting positive uh, Indian Ocean dipole at play. It appears this year, which may buffer some of the impacts on of production out of India. But equally, it should be noted that we've just heard from the Indian government earlier this morning um, banning the export of non basmati rice. Um, you know, and and certainly India being the leading exporter of rice in the world um, is you know is is drawing a lot of attention and concern there for rice being such a stable staple um, you know carbohydrate export and and consumed um, grain certainly through much of much of Asia for that matter. So El Nino related impacts already with us. I think the fundamental impacts are really yet to be seen. We, uh, you know, specifically look for further upside in terms of sugar prices, palm oil prices um, through the, the end of this year and, and into 2024. Um, but maybe just coming back to the grains, uh, I look for corn and wheat prices really to, to peak in this third quarter um, and, and equally soybeans for that matter as well. It should be noted that the El Nino phase that we're moving into is likely to be quite promising from a rainfall point of view in Brazil and also in Argentina. The rains in Argentina are breaking the drought currently, um, you know, and, and that's very important for a supply side response going forward. But on the other hand, we've just, of course, had Russia terminate the Black Sea Grain Initiative earlier this week. Uh, that's added immense geopolitical premium to world wheat prices. Uh, it, it does, you know, um, certainly seem to be a situation that is more of a risk from a geopolitical premium than a fundamental risk in the short term, in my view. Of course, with Ukraine um, having expanded um, yeah, extensively its, its road and rail-based and certainly barge-based export network. But as we you know, continue to see, there's an immense amount of conflict still underway that is also damaging grain infrastructure and port infrastructure in Ukraine, so some, you know, big headwinds there, but, you know, I, I still think lots of scope for negotiation uh, and, and some more positive outcomes on the part of, you know, Black Sea grain flows going forward. I, I don't think we've seen the end of the volatility here just yet, um, but nonetheless, I'm hopeful that there can be more negotiations and constructive negotiations ahead, Natasha. 
Um, yes, I would like to say a couple words on oil. Uh, multiple rounds of OPEX production reductions and uh, signs that Russia is making good on its pledge to curb exports, uh, finally paying off in oil. Um, Brent oil prices up seven dollars since July. Uh, we do believe that prices will likely continue to climb from here by another six dollars by the end of third quarter. So our price forecast, the exit for the third quarter is uh, eighty-six dollars on average. Um, so the, the price should stand steady through the through the fourth quarter of the year, but we believe with the stocks expected to start gradually building back uh, in into the fourth quarter of the year and into 2024, the prices should ease uh, by, by the end of this year and to, into next year. Uh, Greg, moving to you. Um, so we put a long, structurally long-term bullish uh, buy recommendation on gold and silver in uh, November 2022. We're still maintaining it. Uh, can you please walk us through the, your thinking there? Yeah, sure, Natasha. I, I think when you're talking about being underloved and underowned, gold doesn't fall into that category. It's not overly owned, but it's um, it's definitely been quite supported over this Fed hiking cycle relative to previous uh, previous relationships with with real yields. For us, I think we just boil it down simply. We think we're coming to a likely end of the Fed rate hiking cycle here. So, you know, our economists have the, the Fed on pause after next week. Um, now, they do think it's an extended pause with cuts not coming until 2Q24. But when we think about the complex, we do think gold acts as, you know, not relative to this tactical play uh, and fundamental play in, in, in other commodities. It's much more of a structural hedge. And that's because... It's sort of agnostic for why the Fed is cutting. So with other commodities, you you have much more of a bifurcated performance if we get a soft landing or a hard landing. We think for gold prices, it's much more the actual Fed cutting and the and the move lower in rates that is the 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 bullish strong um, catalyst. And that we do think that's going to sort of re-solidify movement in US real yields as the primary pricing driver for gold. And so we do think over the pause uh, as our expectation is that real yields begin to bleed lower, gold stays supported. The real upside comes when we move into that cutting cycle. Last three cycles, we've seen gold up 15% in the six months after it. So it's it's a little bit difficult for very short-minded investors to hold, given the opportunity costs you're giving up on, on, on deposits of, of cash or, or the roll on the futures curve. But we do think it's, it acts as a diversifier in the commodity space. And I think finally, I would just say on the on the base metal side, why we are kind of maintaining this neutral is we we are very underowned, but from a perspective, uh, we don't have that palpable sense of tightness coming in the second half of this year, um, like we do in other commodities. And that's simply because yes, we have longer term structural issues on supply, but demand has let it off the hook. And what you're seeing is rest of world demand contracting across the board in the first half across base metals. Uh, it still looks like it's going to take some time to really see that catalyst to, to rebound and, and tighten up these markets. Um, and so we do think that's likely going to be a later in 2024 story. When that demand bounce comes, we are going to stress inventories. We are going to see consumers restock. It's going to probably be a pretty violent recovery. 
But we do think that, you know, manufacturing has been leading into this cycle. Um, and from that perspective, we're not seeing the imminent signs needed to really tighten it up in the tactical near term. Um, and so it's, it's a later story for us. And the things to watch, the two catalysts that would change that would be something comes out quite dramatic from Chinese stimulus. That's not our base case, but that is obviously something that could change sentiment. Or we begin to see a trend higher in rest of world PMIs. And, and that gives us kind of a more... Uh, 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 stronger signal that green shoots could beginning to demur, uh, emerge on the demand side. Uh, but for now, it's still a bit on hold. Shika, Tracy Greg, thank you for joining me today. Uh, thank you all to listening to the Commodities Edition at JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. Uh, we look forward to continue the conversation next week. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to this content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on July 21st, 2023.